Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Once again, everybody doing good? Well, I tell you, I would choose the buffet because don't they have ribs in there and barbecue too in the buffet? Anybody think about that? I thought about that first thing when we went through the run through this morning. I thought, wait a minute, there's both in there. So, um, how many like pork ribs, the baby backs? How many like the beef ribs? What's your problem, man? It has all that fat on it. Ugh. How many like when you eat a steak, you like a bunch of fat on that steak? Really? Oh, you like my mother. Oh, gosh. She could just chew on that part of it. I'd be like, oh, that's so gross, man. To this day, my family, man, oh, my gosh. Even they, they're chewing on that. What do you, how do you say it in Spanish? Gris? What? What? Grasa? Grasa? That's not grass? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> that's sacate. Okay. I know a little Spanish still. Okay. Um, but it's good to be back. I've been gone for three weeks on a sabbatical. They told me about six months ago that I was, they're going to kick me out for three weeks, don't come back. And so um, last time I took a sabbatical, only other time I took a sabbatical was six years ago, uh, four weeks. And uh, I'll tell you, this time was three weeks. And the first week, I, by seventh day, I was going out of my mind, out of my mind. I, I like working. I like doing this stuff. I'm going crazy but the second and third week I settled in and I started to relax and you know I was okay and so it's just good to be back uh, 20 of us from New Beginnings uh, 20 men just went up on our annual backpacking trip to the high Sierras. how many saw that on Facebook or Instagram I posted some pictures different things okay um, but we went up there and I've been doing this for like 42 years and we got we go up Wednesday night sleep at the trailhead on our sleeping bags and air mattresses and start walking in with our full packs on. We walked uh, six miles to the, to the, uh, where we're going to, st- our campsite that we chose, and uh, elevation gained about 1,500 feet. We camped at about 11,200, and on Thursday night, it was re- we had to get into our tents about 7.30. The storm came in. We knew storms were going to be there, but we decided to go anyway. Lightning, stuff like that, that night, but it would, you know, the rain stopped, but we were in the tents, and we went to bed, and lightning Thunder finally dissipated. Next day, woke up. Beautiful Sunday day. We take a mile and a quarter walk to, we were at Lake 2. We went to Lake 4 or 5. And we're there for about 45 minutes, an hour, having a good time. And um, then we see the clouds coming in. And then it gets worse and worse. And now we're stuck in rain and lightning and thunder. And you're out there in the elements, and there's not a lot of trees at 11,000 feet. And it's booming, and it's cracking. I mean, the lightning sounds like it's like right there. It's cracking hard. So we... We, we booked it to Third Lake. We got under some trees to try to stop the rain from falling on us because we didn't carry our ponchos with us on this little walk. And then it just not subsided. And hail's coming down and rain and we're under the trees there. And then, we've been in this before. This is not the first time. So I'm thinking, okay, it's going to go by. It just wasn't going away. Then finally it just turned into just um, sprinkling, but you still have thunder and lightning, stuff like that. So we booked it back to the camp because we're not sure what does the camp look like. Because if your sleeping bags get wet in that kind of atmosphere, you can't, you don't have a dryer, okay? And you can't sleep, you know, when it gets down to about 38, 40 degrees, you freeze to death. And we know this, so we got back, some of our tents were flooded, sleeping bags wet, and I told people, I go, we got to go, we're going home, pack it up, we're going. And, uh, we packed up Friday and we walked out the six miles and it rained off and on on us on the way out and uh, but it's always a great adventure and I love doing it I've been doing it since I was a really young man and uh, that was like 42 years now ago that I started doing that so but we have a good time doing those things you say that was a good time it was a great time <laughs> so today I'm going to begin a new series um, it's going to last four weeks called Effective Christianity uh, I want to begin today with the key verse that I, will, that I usually see in a series, give you a, a singular verse throughout the series. It's the key verse. And I want to begin with it today. And it's found in Matthew 16, 18. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? They give all these answers. Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And then he says this. I want us all to read it. Guys, I've been gone a month. I want you to read it. One, two, three. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower. The gates of hell are not going to overpower that. It's an amazing statement by Jesus. Let me give you some, oops. Let me give you some deeper thought into it. The fourth Sunday of the series, we're going to really give you some more thought on that verse. But when he says, you are Peter, he just changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter. Peter, his name means a stone. Just a little stone. Peter was not the first pope. He's not the rock in the, in the statement. Peter had a mother-in-law, therefore he's married, therefore he wasn't a pope. Those are just man-made things. You'll not find that in Scripture at all. I know I just blew some of your minds right there. But Peter means a small stone. And he says, upon this rock. The word rock there is the idea of a group of people, a bunch of small stones gathered together to form a giant slab. So now he's talking about a bunch of people coming together to form a giant immovable slab. When Jesus says the church, I'll build the church upon that rock, the word church there means a gathering of people gathered together for a specific purpose, that we gather together in active duty for a specific purpose. The problem, and it's a very, very uh, brilliant strategy by the devil, is to make us believe that the church is a building and that we go to church. Sorry, you never went to church a day in your life. You are the church. The church is people. And we gather together uh, in one purpose to advance the kingdom of God. Therefore, the church is not a meeting place. The church is a movement of people in a specific direction coming together in the physical to carry out ministry to push back the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. The word gates, when Jesus uses gates, you and I, we think of like the gate at our house that swings open and closed. It's not the idea, though it is that in the physical, but you've got to understand what the first century person from antiquity, the way he looks at it, the gate is where the leading uh, uh, people of the city would gather for decisions uh, to carry out within the city for transactions. That's where Boaz, in the Old Testament letter of Ruth, that's where he petitions to be able to marry the widow Ruth there at the gate. That's where it takes place. In the Proverbs 31 woman, uh, it says that not only is she a cool lady and got it all together, it says that her husband is known in the gates. In other words, he has taken leadership position of spirituality and in the city, and he's a leading man in that, in that respect. He's doing what God has called him to do. And so you start piecing these things together, and you begin to realize what Jesus is saying. When we come together as a movement of people gathering together, we push back the gates of hell. Hell does not win because we're working together as a group of people coming together. But the contrary is true. If I don't jump in, if I'm not part of active duty in the kingdom of God as a group of people, then the kingdom of God is weakened. And now hell pushes back against us. So to be effective Christians and to see effective Christianity, we need to come together as a group of people so that we can push back the gates of hell and see the advancement of the kingdom of God on planet earth. Any amens? So participation is very important. Now, with that said, here is our tagline that I want you to read every week we'll read it today one two three how to live how many know it's getting more defective every day any amens it's crazy the thinking processes are flipped i have I, i've been alive quite a while now and it's like this is insanity now 
It's crazy that things are being thought, but we're called to live as effective Christians to flip that upside-down script up there back right-side-up in the kingdom of God. Amen? So I'm going to start today a four-week series. Fourth week will be the kind of big push, but each week will carry its deals. Now, if you remember uh, three, four months ago, I made a statement. I said I was going to do a series called The Other Side of COVID. Does anyone remember that statement? Oh, I'll just pretend you nodded, okay? I'll pretend that people listen to me and I feel good about myself. This is that series, but I didn't call it that because our young marketers in the church said, yeah, we don't like that title. I'm like, ah, ah, you know, whatever. And they gave me this title, Effective Christianity. I go, okay, I can live with that. Here's what it's going to be about. COVID did some stuff to church people, huh? I'm not here to debate the validity of masks or not. You want to wear a mask? I'll defend your right. You don't want to wear a mask? I'll defend your right. I'm not here to talk about those things. You guys know my wife suffered through it, so I, I've seen the effects of it. It didn't really do anything to me when I had it. But I, I, but I will say this. Politicians will never waste a crisis, will they? I don't pay much attention to it. I don't pay much attention to the news either because there's so much propaganda. And that's a fact. You could sit there, it's not true. Oh, okay, thank you. But I also know in a wider sense, Satan never wastes a good crisis, does he? Never does. Satan was not going to waste this crisis. As I observed it, as I watched it all go down, I, you know, you look at it from a spiritual dimension, not just from a physical dimension, because if you look at it just as a physical dimension, you're going to miss out on what's really going on. But from a spiritual dimension, it did three things to the church, church people. First off, it gagged us. Secondly, it distanced us. And third, it put fear into us. And now they're trying to put more fear into us. Have you noticed? I refuse to live in fear. Well, Jim, you're not afraid of dying? Look, I don't want to die. But I live not like the preacher in the Old Testament letter, Ecclesiastes, who lived under the sun, under the sun, meaning he looked at it from purely an earthly, naturalistic perspective. I will look at it from the top down from a spiritual perspective, I'm not afraid of these things because Jesus already conquered death. Did you hear me? And you better start thinking like that. He came, he died, he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. And it can be substantiated that there's evidence that he rose from the dead. So he conquered death. So this physical body of mine, either way it's going to give out. One way or the other. But this soul and spirit of me, it's going to live forever. You're stuck with me forever. <laughs> and when you start to... Th God bless you. Thank you for the seven of you that want to be around me, okay? The rest of you, I'm going to deal with you later, okay? But, so you can live in fear all you want. You have every right to. Or you can live as a kingdom of God person and not walk around in fear. You can even wear a mask and not walk around in fear. I don't care, either way. But I know that these things, Satan never wastes a good crisis. It was designed in one respect to make the church of the living God backpedal. But I'm here to correct, to redirect, and to get us back, driving back the gates of hell. Amen? Amen. That's what I'm here for. That's all I live for. And I'll just say it, if you've lost your fire for God, let's get it back. If you've never had fire for God, let's get it in the first place. If you don't know what that feels like, get around somebody on fire. Ah, three amens, praise the Lord. <clears throat> so, today I'm going to begin with lifting the gag order. 
Point one is about us. Point two and three is about lifting the gag order, and you'll see as we go. So here we go. Number one, and that is this. I am a miracle. Everybody say it. I am. Say it again louder. I am a miracle. Now, in Acts chapter three, look there, turn there, have your Bible. Hopefully you have a Bible. Hopefully you read the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible regularly at home, you're missing out on truth, and you're letting everybody else disciple you in the wrong way. Just saying. Chapter 3 of Acts, watch this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. for you and I. That's when you're going to take your nap today? I am. I'll show you my Medicare card if you want to see that too. Um, the hour of prayer. Now Peter and John, in case you're new to the faith, they're two of the top dog disciples of Jesus. It says, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. Now, you and I, today's society, we say, oh, that's lame over there. But for them, it means they can't walk. They, this man cannot walk. But he's been lame from his mother's womb. Chapter 4 tells us the man is 40 years of age. 40 years he's been walking. Not walking. Sorry. 40 years he can't walk. All of his life, he's born that way. They carry him along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. Now let me tell you something. I, I got a comment because I'm a preacher, teacher. Preacher, that's what I am. This man is carried along every day because he can't walk. He's laid there and he just begs for money. This man is a typical picture of someone who've lost their dreams and now they expect everyone else to give to them now this man is truly a victim because he was born that way and thank God we have society and safety nets to help people the problem is in our world everybody's a victim and everybody wants something for free by the way all the free money they're giving away it ain't free you better understand that it's coming out of our tax dollars, and it's going to go higher. It's going to go on to our children. You better remember that. But when you lose your dreams, when you lose the vision for your life, and what God can do in your life, and what you're to be, you will expect everyone to give to you. I would never want to live that way. I will not let my children live that way. They are going to make their way in this world. They're going to work hard. They're going to do it. And my Mexican kids are not victims, okay? A weak amen right there. <laughs> Verse 3. When he saw the man lame at the temple, he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple. He's looking at him. He does what he's done every day. He begins asking to receive alms. Hey, you got any scratch? You got any change? You got a couple of quarters you can lend a, 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 a guy here? But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on the man. Peter and John look at them guys. And they said to the man, look at us. Ho, ho, ho. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now he's thinking, ah, oh, they're going to give me some money. Yes, this is why I'm here. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. Question, stop. If you're the man sitting there and they say, I don't have any money, what are you now thinking? Why'd you tell me to look at you? What are you wasting my time for? I had a couple guys walk by, might add some money. Silver and gold, I have none. But then he says, but what I do have, uh-oh, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Now stop. You never know what the next person coming into your life, how they will impact you and change the course of your life for the better. Flip the script. You don't know if you're walking in the will of God and paying attention how you yourself, as you walk around and talk with people, how you can impact somebody else. Silver and gold I have none, but in the name of Jesus. Right? If you're looking, if you're watching, if you're paying attention, 
Now watch this. He tells him to walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he grabs the man. Peter does. He raised him up. And immediately, his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Can you imagine that guy? Woo! And he's standing up. And it says, with a leap. Say leap. leap. Come on, man. With a leap. leap. He stood up. Oh, yeah. He begins to walk. Oh, yeah. And he entered the temple with them. He says, can I go with you guys? Absolutely. Come on in. He's walking and leaping and praising God. He's, man, he's speaking it out, man, what God has done. Now, let me say this. Say it again. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. This man is 40 years of age, lame from his mother's womb, could never walk a step in his life. He is a picture of you and you and me before we came to Jesus Christ. Were we not bankrupt in sin before a holy God? Were we not lame spiritually, unable to walk in the kingdom of God ways, right? Were we not distant from God because of our sins? You know it's true. That's every one of us. And then Peter tells him, in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine when he said, in the name of Jesus, if you could listen in the spirit realm, all you'd hear is like, no! That's my rendition of a demon, by the way. They're screaming and screeching because no, this is not what we want. When you walk in a room, the devils should shriek like, oh my gosh, he's here, she's here. And it says he leaped. Now, I love the word that the writer Luke uses because Luke, uh, he's a doctor who writes the book of Acts. He's a spiritual man. And the word leaped means literally this, something out of socket that was put back into socket. Whoa, my son Dylan, who's the campus pastor at Av Church. And by the way, um, we, we opened up Av Church, we, we, but we never launched. And we've got to launch next year. We've got a grand opening, flood the community, we've got to do all that. But we never, we just opened and we had to do it for various reasons, but that's all we did. But we're going to launch next year. There's a big difference between the two. But when my son Dylan was a toddler, I don't know if your kids ever had this, they call it mall elbow where their elbow goes out of socket. It's from pulling your kids in the mall. That's what they call it, mall elbow. <laughs> we didn't need the mall. We just yanked them along. But his, he'd play around, and his elbow would dislocate. And I remember the first time I took him to the doctor, and the doctor gives him a little candy sucker, and he's, he's all happy, and the doctor twists it, and it goes back in the socket. And then the doctor told me, let me show you how to do it when it happens again. Oh, oh no, no, no. No, I'm, I'm no doctor. No doctor here, okay? I, I don't, but he showed me how to do it. And it happened again, and there he is, and, he can't, and then he plays it, he pops back in. Thank you, Jesus. But it happened again, and then, and then he played again, and it popped back in. Thank you, Jesus. And then it never happened again. But it would pop out of socket. He's immobile, then it pops back into socket. When this man is told, in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, walk, and he leaps, his life physically goes back into socket, and now he can walk and run. But do you remember when your life, before you came to Christ, was out of socket? Do you remember when God put your marriage together? When he put it back into socket? Do you remember when your thinking all changed? Do you remember? Do you remember when your potty mouth changed? And you used to drop F-bombs all the time, and now your F-bomb is the word faith. You remember? Do you remember? No, didn't, seriously, do you remember? You remember when you became a good employee now with a good attitude? You remember, right? You remember, young man, when you quit scouting out the girls just because you could just to score sex one girl after another, and God changed you, put you back in the socket, and you knew that's the wrong way to go? You remember? Do you remember? Some of you, when he took you out of depression and then all of a sudden you're not depressed anymore, do you remember? When God put your life back into the socket and you knew now that when you die, you're going to see your creator in eternity and it's going to be a really good deal. God put us back in the socket. Say it. I am a miracle. Yeah. Now think, the miracle man gets up, his life's back in socket, 
I don't need to be carried here anymore. I don't need to beg anymore. I can get on with the dreams of my life because I serve a God in heaven. But he goes, let me go in the temple with you. He goes in there and he's praising, which means he's using his voice. He's having a great time. He's talking and praising God and he's sharing the things of God. But someone don't like that. And that's point two. Hell attempts a gag order. Now watch this in Acts chapter 4. This thing is spreading now. They hear about the miracle. They hear about Jesus again. They already don't like Jesus, the religious community and the people around there. Now, they're going to pull Peter in because Peter's the guy who said, in the name of Jesus, you get up and walk. And he did. Watch this. Now they go after Peter. And here's what they say. Verse 16, Acts 4, 16. Saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place. In other words, everyone has seen it, the evidence, right? Right? Huh. Evidence, that's an interesting thing. Never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never say to anyone, you just got to believe. It's just faith. You just got to believe. Sorry. Your Christianity is an evidence-based faith. There is evidence of the resurrection in history, my friends. It's a fact. It's a fact. And if somebody ever tells you there is no God, the first question you ask them is, could you prove that to me? They cannot prove there is no God. The only proof there is is that there is a God. They can, no one can prove to you there is no God. So you turn it back on that person. Now, verse, where am I? Oh, verse 17. But so that it will not be spread. So they want to they say. So, but so that it will not spread any further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in the same. In other words, you're going to tell these guys, you shut up. You don't talk about Jesus. You keep your little religion to yourself. Ever heard that one before? Verse 18. And when they summon them. Now they're bringing Peter and the guys back in. Here's what they tell them. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You shut up now. Gag order. You stop sharing. You don't talk about Jesus. You just keep him to yourself. So last summer, my family vacation. We go to the same spot every year. Go to this burger place that uh, I like a fried egg and bacon in my burger. Anybody feel like eating right now? <laughs> so we order. And you're sitting outside because you can't go inside. It's still, you know, they're still operating that way. Isn't it funny? This always cracked me up too. You could walk into a restaurant when they finally open, wear your mask, and you get to the table and you could take it off. Does that strike anybody funny besides me? What's the difference? But anyway, that's just me, okay. Don't write me any cards. I really won't even read it anymore. I ain't got no time. My wife goes up. It's about from here to where I'm sitting, because we're outside now, to the corner of the inside of the room here. She goes up to get a refill of her drink. She forgets to wear her mask. A lady sees her there, and the lady says to my wife, out loud in front of the people there, she says, you B-I-T-C-H. No, I wasn't there. Probably a good thing. I wouldn't punch the lady. I mean, it'd be close. You know, but you know, maybe I'd scare her. I don't know. And maybe I'd change my accent, like, what's going on here, Estee? But I probably would have said something kind of firm but polite and you know, and she would have got angrier and we would have just walked away. But I thought, really? This is where we've come to? You can put that mask on, lady, or you're a B-I-T-C-H. They gagged us. Here's my, my issue's not the mask, my issue's not, did I go? Yeah, I did. Here's my issue. Did you notice how quiet it got with the masks on? 
Better question. Did you notice how communication was stunted and stopped? Better question. How many opportunities were lost to share the gospel with others because we had masks on? Right? Do you ever think about that? Because I think about that. Satan never wastes a crisis. It's a brilliant strategy, isn't it? If you throw anything, it's just brilliant. Stop talking. Gag order. Let me tell you, Satan remembers what you and I forget. And here's what we forget. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14 says this. It says, it says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You got to call verbally. Now look at verse 14 though. Watch this. Watch, 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 watch. How then will they call on him, God, whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? You say, oh yeah, it's about you, preacher. Sorry. The word preacher simply means a herald, someone who announces loudly. In other words, you're talking. That's everybody. We're all called to do this. And you sit there in your mind and go, no, no, no. Well, you don't even believe the scriptures. And you're Adam and Eve. You decide what's right and wrong then. But this Bible says that you're a preacher. And you're a herald. And you're to share these things. See, Satan remembers what you and I forget. Can I share with you one of Satan's strategies in life? If you don't know his strategies, you're going to fall for it every time. I'll give you one. And he uses this repeatedly. In, Act, um, in Genesis chapter 2, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I have a firm belief that Satan goes, huh, that's interesting. We'll just see about that. So in chapter 3, he tempts them. They sin. All of a sudden, they sow fig leaves, make loin coverings. They hear God. They jump in the bushes. Distance, distance, distance. And now, even though I'm in a relationship, I'm alone. You see that? Did you see that? So Satan, once he hears the truth of God's word, he says, we'll just see about that. So once Satan hears that, oh, salvation is communicated through words, through the preaching, the preaching, the heralds of God, he says, we'll just see about that. We're going to get some mass on these people because they're not going to communicate words. We're going to get really, really, really quiet. Gag order in place. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. By Acts chapter 4 verse 17 they say, You are not going to witness. You shut up. You ever notice that? Satan says, God says that. We'll just see about that. We'll just see about that. How many opportunities were lost to share the gospel last year? I'm going to dig that one out more and more as the series progresses. That, let, let me tell you, the gag order was in place long before COVID. They started to try to shut us up a long time ago, in case you don't know this. I talk about this periodically just so you see the stupidity of the culture. Uh, tolerance, how stupid is that one today? You know, they sit there and they call us intolerant. Intolerant. If I disagree with somebody... They're going to, look, this, I'll be point blank. If I disagree, they're going to call me either a homophobe, a hater, a racist, a this, a that. Sorry, I'm not any of those. But I can stand up and I can make my stance with a biblical worldview. Can I not? And I use this illustration. I said it repeatedly. If somebody ever tells you that, say this, because they're telling you, you hate people because you disagree. How dumb is that? You say, have you, have you, you know, you have kids? Well, yeah. You, do, you agree with all their decisions? Well, no. So when you tell them, no, I disagree with that, does that mean you hate their guts? No. You still love them, do you not? Amen. You can love somebody and still disagree with them. Any amens? Amen. Have you noticed? It's okay to clap to the glory of God. Not for my sake. Have you ever noticed the people who scream tolerance today the loudest are the most intolerant people on the planet? Has anyone ever noticed that? It's insanity. I sit back and I go, can no one see this? 
Okay, I'm, I'm going off point here. I don't even know where I'm at. So they tell him, shut up. You keep that stuff to yourself. And then point three is this. I am a voice. Say it. I am a voice. Say it again. Come on. I am a voice. Now watch this. Verse 19, 20. Here's what Peter does. They tell him, you shut up. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God. In other words, let's see, should I obey God or you? Huh. He says, you be the judge. And then he adds, for we not, are not going to stop. We cannot stop. Watch, 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 watch. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have this guy is an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ he's seeing the stuff say this one I am a miracle you have seen what God has done in your life have you not you have seen and you've heard plenty of the word of God you know enough to share what you've seen and what you've heard you've got enough in you to do that so Peter says, you want me to gag myself, gag order, gag order, rejected. Now watch this. Because say it, I am a voice. Now watch this. Turn to John chapter 1, or it'll be on the screen. I hope you read your Bible. I hope you read a Bible. Because if you're not reading your Bible regularly, you're listening to all the propaganda out there, and your mind's going to get all messed up. John 1, 1. Watch this. By the way, my, my weekly verse-by-verse -verse Bible study will be back in business this week I'm back it's on Facebook every day or every Wednesday new one at 4 o'clock it's also on our Norco YouTube channel at 4 o'clock Wednesday and it's on the rest of the week you can go back and watch it they're like 20 minutes long you can download it please start to study the Bible you need the truth in the midst of all the upside down crazy things coming at you verse 1 what's it say it. I am a voice John the writer one of the twelve says in the beginning was the word the word capital W and the word capital W was with God and the word capital W was God sidebar come back if you're ever in a debate with Jehovah's Witnesses they've changed that verse so you know it doesn't say in their New World Translation. It says, our says, and the word was God. Their says, and the word was a God. Because they tried to tell you there's many. They've changed it. They print their own little Bible over in Brooklyn. But there's no New Testament Greek scholar that would ever agree with them. When John the writer says in the beginning, <sighs> there in the Greek language, there's no definite article. Which means, was his in the beginning, he takes you back that word takes you back to the most remote moment imaginable in time. Back, back, back. He's telling you this, that this word, whoever, whatever it is, had no beginning. No beginning. Now, I'm going to jump forward now and show you who this word is. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. Who became flesh? Jesus. Jesus enters into the world he created. Be, he created before the beginning of all things. He started time. He lives outside of time. He's the creator. He's the word that spoke. Genesis 1. And, and God said, and God said, and, and everything was created. Any amens? Jesus is God in the flesh who always was. Period. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh my gosh. And we saw his going, don't miss these words. John says, I saw. I was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and I saw. I was at the crucifixion. I saw him die. I saw him after the fact. I saw him resurrect. In fact, I saw the scars in his wrists and his feet after the in the resurrected body. I saw it. That's, what's the best testimony in a courtroom? 
eyewitness. We have eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ours is not a blind faith. It's an evidence-based faith. It says we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Very important statement, grace and truth, full of both, 100% of each. You can't just be truth, just laying out truth, because you'll be the most evil, mean Christian around. And on the other hand, if you're just grace, you're just going to let everybody sin, and it's okay, and I don't want to condemn them or say anything like that. You've got to have them both. You've got to have truth with grace and grace with truth. You follow me? You've got to have them both. So Jesus now, the Word becomes flesh. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God in the flesh. He walks amongst. But here's what I want to bring you. Verse 22, 23. Now we move to John the Baptist in chapter 1. And they come up to John now, and they're saying, because he's baptizing in the Jordan River, and they say, who are you? And they throw out some names, and he's not him, not him. Are you the prophet? No. Prophet meaning it's the one that Deuteronomy 18.15 talks about to come, meaning Jesus the Messiah. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not that either. They go, then who are? And then they say this, verse 22. Then they said to him, to John the Baptist, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? Here's what he says. He said... I am a voice. Say it. I am a voice. Say it. Of one crying in the wilderness. Wilderness is the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, I've come to set the crooked stuff straight. I've come going against the culture that is so upside down. I've come to set it straight. I'm a preparer of the way for people to receive the Messiah, Jesus Christ. As Isaiah the prophet said, I'm fulfilling what Isaiah said hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Doesn't it just make sense that if Jesus Christ is the Word of God, and when you and I place our faith in Him and the Word of God comes to live in us, that we become the voice of God? Does that not make sense? Please, does it make sense? I'm a voice. You're a voice. The man's leaping, praising God, talking about God. But they say, you shut up now. You keep your little faith to yourself. We can share our sinful ideologies and scream it everywhere, but you shut up. You ever notice that? No, have you noticed that? We can scream all we want, all these ridiculous ideas, but you shut up with that Bible stuff. And I'm tired of listening to all these people on the news and they throw a little verse out here and there or talk about this and all of a sudden they all see they're Christian. No, they're not. Watch their life. Listen to what they really say. Then make a determination. You Christians, you need to zip it. They tell it to Peter, and, I, and they tell it to us. You just put that mask on. You be quiet. What a brilliant strategy. What a brilliant satanic strategy. You know what's amazing to me? That when, the, when Jesus, the Word of God, came to live in us, and, we be, and the Word becomes flesh in us, and we begin to be the voice of God, and every time you and I share with somebody else and they follow Christ, then the word of God becomes flesh again and they begin to be the voice of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? No, no, you're, not, you're missing it. Because when God in Genesis said, and God said, and then he creates, think about, and I'm not uh, naming and claiming guys, so don't get up me on that. Um, but when we share with somebody and the word comes in them, you become part of a miracle of another person. The word comes in them and now all of a sudden they're born again and they're the voice of God. You've just been part of a new creation right there. Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that crazy? You're like a Genesis 1 person. So my question, have you been silenced? Have you been silenced? Okay. I'm a movie guy. You guys know that? 
I gave you 23 years on this one. I'm going to ruin it. But the movie Saving Private Ryan. Look, if you don't watch the whole movie, watch the first 30 minutes. And look and see what those young men did storming the beach at Normandy so you and I aren't speaking German right now and aren't under a dictatorial government. Why, you have freedom today. Just watch the first 30 minutes. When I saw it, I was like, oh my God, I, would, I can't imagine being 19, 20, and that barge opens up and here comes those bullets flying. And they're picking you off. But in the movie, there's a scene. It just, oh, it just, it just, oh, it irks me. Where the American soldier's up in the, like the second floor of a home as they're moving through Europe, fighting the Germans. And a German soldier comes up there and they get into hand-to-hand combat. Some of you remember the scene? It drives you nuts. And they're fighting and there's a knight and they're going back and forth and finally the German gets on top of the American and he turns the knife on him and the American's on the bottom and the knife and the German's trying to and then I'll never forget the the American's going, no, 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 no because he knows he's going to die. Can you imagine? You're across the ocean in Europe fighting for freedom for America and here comes a knife that's being planted. This is what you went there for. To fight. And he plunges it. And he kills the American. But that's not really the whole story, is it? Because that German soldier, when he walked up the steps to that room where he engaged in hand-to-hand combat and killed the American soldier, there's another American soldier sitting on the steps with a rifle, scared like a little baby. And the German sees him, just walks right past him. And he engages the other guy. And this guy with the rifle, this American could have gone up there and just shot the German and saved the American's life. Does nothing. The German kills the American. He walks back down the steps and he sees the man who's just crying with his rifle and he realizes, why mess with this guy? Walks right by him. He's no threat. He won't drive back Nazi Germany. No threat whatsoever. Are you a threat? Are you a threat to the gates of hell? People die and go to hell. Now you may say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you feel. If it says it, it says it. You're smarter than Jesus? Are you the creator? You talk more about about hell than heaven. He's warning people not to go there. But are you a threat anymore? Or does Satan say, no threat. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to share. They're not going to get involved. They're not going to come together. They're not going to do anything. No threat. They don't even die. No threat. Are you driving back the gates of hell? You're in a war. I'm in a war. Get back to realizing that. And the war is for souls. That's what matters. They got us so whacked out last year, so disconnected, so misdirected. I just watched them going, I was so conflicted. I, I just like, do they people realize what, what's going on here spiritually? Last question, last question. Just a question. When opportunity comes your way to share your faith, to be a voice of what you've seen, because you are a miracle, and what you've heard being taught, what you're you know, reading the Bible, will you be the voice of God? Will you be the voice of God? Are you going to remain gagged in fear? It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Oh, oh Jim, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce through the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This word of God, as you share it, it gets in a soul. And you don't have to worry about that. It's potent. It's powerful. Will you be the voice of God? all I'm asking. Let's pray. Now you've heard enough here today and maybe 
you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've always declined the family's invitation, friend's invitation to become a follower of Christ. But maybe today it's like, well, I think this is the right way to go in life. So I'm going to give you this chance to put your faith in Jesus to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins because we're all sinners. To let that blood of Jesus cleanse you of all sin. And thus, you come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you die, you know where you're going. And you have to fear death anymore. And you'll live in eternity with God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to walk in this and become a person that makes straight the way of the Lord. Or maybe you backslid. I don't know. Maybe you've just been so complacent and so keep it to yourself and, and maybe you grew up as a Christian and you've never caught fire and you need to be born again again or something. I don't know. But you need to catch that fire back again. Get back in active duty. Do something. God is backpedaling. It's time to rededicate your life. So whether you're in this room, you're watching me online, watching it later on in the week, month, if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus Christ or rededicate your life, I want you to say this prayer. Everybody in this room, say it with me. Say it after me. And everybody watching, you say it. But somebody in this room or people in this room, people over there watching, if you're going to place your faith in Christ, here's the time. Rededicate your life, here's the time. So repeat after me. Here we go. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would die for me on a cross. Allow your blood to be poured from your body to forgive my sins. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sins. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. You are the only God, my only God and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. I pray for you who said that prayer for the first time in salvation or rededication. I pray you walk with God now because the Spirit of God has now come to live in you by faith. And if you meant that prayer, you're going to see some changes in your attitude and the way you look at life. Please start reading the Word of God. Get one of modern-day translation so you understand it. Talk to Christians or go online and I'll give you next steps. Talk to somebody after church here in the prayer team or at the Connect Center. Get next steps. So you begin your walk with God. Because Satan wants to steal the seed. Once you become a Christian, his strategy is to steal the seed or make you so complacent you're no threat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving people. Because all heaven rejoices over that one. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, amen. amen and amen. Stand up, everybody. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.